Uh, this scripture reading is coming from 1 Timothy. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that later, that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinent foods from that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made by, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, many of you are aware that uh, I go to Southern California every uh, few months to see my mom as her, her health is, uh, is failing a bit, and I need to check in with her and, and uh, my brother uh, who lives in the area and cares for her. I have this rhythm that uh, I'm a part of um, is uh, as I fly into John Wayne Airport, I catch an Uber or Lyft, and I go to my brother's office, which is uh, about 30 minutes away, and use a an extra card that he has uh, to move around the community locally. I go, then go to In-N-Out for a burger, and then uh, head over to my mom's apartment. Um, without fail, the last three trips I've made, uh, I have uh, met some of the most amazing people that have transported me to and from Rancho Santa Margarita. On my last trip, I was heading back to the airport from mom's. I was picked up by Samuel from Ghana. I noticed on his Uber profile that, that uh, he had made over 40,000 trips, and I commended him for his accomplishments. His response to me was that he loves people and enjoys what he does to help people arrive to where they're going. And uh, in the next 30 minutes, we discovered our shared faith in Jesus Christ. We had a wonderful conversation about the state of the world and the need for loving one another more in Christ. When he dropped me off at the airport, we said goodbye to one another with a hug. The church of Jesus Christ is global, it's powerful, and it's life-giving to me. And I hope and pray it is for you too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Lord, it is not a building. It is the people of God. It's not contained geographically. It expands around the globe, and as I met my brother Samuel that day, I just am reminded that I'm part of something bigger, that I need that points me to you, and I pray that today that we will realize we are part of something bigger, that we need one another, and that you are a cornerstone. You are the one who directs our steps. You lead us in life everlasting. I pray you will speak to us this morning. Through your Holy Spirit, we pray this in the powerful and blessed name of Jesus and all of God's people said. You're probably wondering why we passed 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13 
Um, and I want to let you know that next month, uh, when we're ordaining our new elders and deacons, Pastor Doug will be returning to this really important text as it applies to that day directly. These eight verses that uh, Masara just read are vital and critical to being the people of God and the church that he's called us to be. I've, I've titled my sermon today, um, Traits of the Real Church and the Counterfeit Church. You know, it's uh, important for us to really consider what it means to be who God's called us to be. You know, let me, let me read to you in 1 Timothy 3, those first couple verses again. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul is uh, writing again to his understudy um, and disciple Timothy. He's using this admonition and language considering what is going on all around uh, them in Ephesus as he decides what the attributes of the church should be. The church in Ephesus is in the shadows of the temple of Diana in um, Artemis. It is a massive structure and is known as one of the seven wonders of the world that Doug has spoken of, to us about in the last couple of weeks. It is huge and impressive on the outside, and, and, um, uh, but with dead and empty gods on the inside, unlike that which Paul is writing to here concerning God's church. He says the church is the household of God. This is where Samuel and I connected as brothers in Christ. We're a part of the same church family. Household here can refer to either the building or it can refer to uh, those inside the building residing within. In verses 4, 5, and 12 in chapter 3, it is referring to one's family. So we believe that's what Paul's talking about here. Through the Holy Spirit, we become a part of the family of God, to love, to bear with, and support one another. We need to behave like family, don't we? I think it's so beautiful, you know, what Alex shared about Overcome, them being fairly new to our church, but part of it was like she needed to find connection. And when we connect with one another and we minister to one another, things happen. And we become that family that maybe we've never really had. Maybe we have a broken family and we need a family that's on the path of healing. I know that's true for me. The church is the assembly of the living God. In the Old Testament, Yahweh is called the living God. Like when Joshua mentioned in Joshua 3.10, that the living God is among you. I'll share later in, in Colossians 1, um, in the New Testament, it says that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we come together as the church um, of the living God to worship, to the reading and hearing of his word, um, coming together at the table, we hear God addressing us, and something supernatural through the Holy Spirit happens. I think that when an unbeliever is in our midst, um, this is when the Holy Spirit can move. When they witness what we have, we share it together. There's something that happens that we can't quite explain. But it is this connection because we're one in Christ. I was meeting with a, a young man this week and uh, about his desire to get baptized on Palm Sunday. And I listened to a story, and he mentioned that he went to a youth group with a cousin. He was initially nervous about attending this gathering, but 
As the people spoke and shared their testimonies about their walks with God, he was drawn to what they had, which was a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why, after giving his life to Christ, he wants to get baptized. We need one another, and the world needs us to be worshiping God together, for more often, uh, more is caught than taught. We hear a lot of people say, I don't really need the church. I, I, I disagree. I feel like if we don't have a church, we, you know, isolation is that place where Satan can easily come and start kind of messing with us. And I feel like we need one another. We need, to, we need to come and we need to rub shoulders and become who God's called us to, to be. The church is the pillar of truth. As we looked at the Temple of Diana, over 100 beautiful marble pillars, each given by a different king, studded with jewels and gold, 50 to 60 feet high, lifting this massive, shiny, marbled roof from, for all the world to see. The chief duty of the church, of you and I, is to lift, to be like a pillar, to hold the truth of Jesus Christ for all the world to see. We need to lift them high. And people would draw to him. David Plott, Platt, in his commentary, states that these pillars are not to uphold man's opinions, wisdom, innovations, or creativity. Instead, we are lifting up one thing, the Word of God, to magnify it, amplify it, spotlight it, and spread it in the world and all, um, in the church and in, uh, all over the world. The church is also the buttress of truth. The buttress is the support of the building to keep it intact as our little theologian Ewan told us. We live in a world which does not want to face the truth. The church is to hold firm the truth together for all to see. John Stott, in his commentary, said, The church depends on the truth for its existence. The truth depends on the church for its defense and proclamation. Isn't that good? Consider the church throughout the ages as governments have sought to destroy it, like in China. What's happened? It's exploded. It's gone underground. It's, it's, it's reached more than had it been made public. God's ordained his church to carry out his mission to reach the lost and dying. He's faithful. He's going to do it. Let's, on, let's move on to verse 16, which I believe, brothers and sisters, is a verse for me has become almost like, wow, why didn't I anchor myself into this before and studying it, it's so rich, and it's like the bedrock of our faith. You know, it says in the first part, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, which is Jesus. You know, it says uh, in this passage, the Colossians, later Paul said, that I spoke of earlier, it says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I believe that this creed, an early hymn of the church, tells us the full story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, who was fully divine and fully human. As I read from numerous scholars preparing for today, all share this as great theology, and, and, and sometimes we know this as Christology. This verse is broken into three couplets, each highlighting an aspect of Jesus' divinity and his humanity. Paul wanted to be sure that Timothy kept these main truths of the Lord Jesus very clear in his teachings, especially to the people of Ephesus. 
this hymn or this creed uh, says this. He was manifested in the flesh about his incarnation. He was vindicated by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit supported his works on earth and his resurrection. It's, 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 it's the contrast between his flesh and his spirit. He was seen by angels. He who was preached among the nations. He was seen by angels before his birth and during his life and in his death. He was preached the mission of, of the Great Commission in, in uh, Matthew 28 has gone forth. It's between the angels and the nations, covering all created creatures. The last couplet is, He in whom men have all believed all over the world. The response of the gospel worldwide. It's amazing. No matter what country I've been to, when I meet people of God, we have this connection because the Holy Spirit goes and connects us because of Jesus. And he was taken up into glory, his ascension into heaven. Some say this even refers to his second coming as well, between the world and glory. Isn't it beautiful? It's about his humanity. It's about his divinity. It's so clear, and it is something that we should just embed in our lives. And let's come to the traits of the counterfeit church. We need to become aware of false teachers. We need men and women in the church of true character that will lead us to reform and renewal that we have learned about in the last three verses in 1 Timothy 3. Those who have been, um, who have been called by God to be pastors, teachers, and evangelists have a profound responsibility. I always tell those considering going into ministry that it, it is cris- critical, critical that you're called by God. It's a challenging job and an amazing privilege and calling. The vocation is not for the weak of heart, mind, and soul. General Norman Schwarzkopf, the commander of the coalition forces in the Gulf War in 1991, the same time our family was serving the military in Europe, said that the leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. But if if you be without one, be without strategy. Character really matters, especially as a minister of the gospel. A friend of mine and speaker at our Men's Summit in October, Rod Hanley, who leads a ministry called Character That Counts, in his book, Character That Counts, Who's Counting Yours, he wrote this. There are numerous studies which indicate that Christians are as likely as non-Christians to falsify tax returns, to plagiarize, bribe, shift blame, ignore construction specifications, illegally copy software, steal from the workplace, and selectively obey the laws of the land. Any of you squirming? Anyway, many believers have convinced themselves that their questionable and inappropriate actions are justified. He says, until we return to old-fashioned character and the church of Jesus Christ would be an excellent place to start, we'll continue to see deterioration of our society. In fact, true character is based entirely on Jesus Christ. Man-made character will crumble while character developed and molded through Christ can withstand any situation. So true. These verses in in 
at Timothy 1 through 3 say this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Later times and later days refers to times that were inaugurated by Jesus' birth uh, at his first coming and will consummate at his second coming. Brothers and sisters, we are in the last days. So we need to be aware and we need to be wise. In my almost 40 years of ministry, I have painfully observed too many men and women uh, who I respected and admired who shifted just a degree or two from their centering in Jesus and found themselves wrecking their faith and taking many people with them. Be wise, be careful, and be focused always on Jesus. Beware of teachers, preachers, and evangelists that add anything to knowing and following Jesus. I was talking with Megan this week about how to best prepare a student for the next chapter in their lives um, after graduating from high school. I would always tell them to find a church or a ministry that focuses on Jesus and helping them know the Bible as God's word. Megan tells uh, her students to count how many times a pastor of a church they visit said the name of Jesus in their messages. I'd like to tell you about a chaplain in the army that I serve alongside while providing youth ministry to the military families in Germany. I believe he graduated from Princeton, like Pastor Doug. He was very bright, engaging, and well-spoken. But I always felt uh, in my spirit that something was off. And I later found out through some significant and difficult circumstances that he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Strong language. He was a great communicator. Whenever he preached at the Protestant chapel in places where most of us would insert Jesus in the sermon, he would smoothly use the word church instead on a consistent basis. Um, he would say things like, uh, be sure to let the church carry your burdens or let the church forgive you of your sins, etc. Some false teachers can be very direct or extremely subtle, like this chaplain was, who was my boss for a season. Brothers and sisters, it's Jesus, period, not Jesus plus. It's Jesus, period, not Jesus plus. Please remember that. In these first few verses of the chapter, I want you to look at three causes of errors. The first one is diabolical. These teachers are called by the spirit of the evil one. The devil calls those to his mission just as we are called by the Holy Spirit into God's ministry. It's a battle going on. The goal of the devil is to kill, maim, and destroy, as it says in John 10.10. But Jesus came to give life and to give it to us in abundance. The second is human cause. These teachings in our society and church come through many agents, like the chaplain I just told you about. 
They're habitual liars and have become very professional at doing so to persuade you to do what they want you to do for their misguided purposes. We must not be unduly impressed by a teacher's style and credentials. We must look to their teachings about Jesus Christ. They can often come across as self-disciplined and righteous, which can be alluring to us. So be careful. Moral. These teachers have had their consciences seared, as it says in the, in the passage of Scripture. Cauterizio, which uh, in the Greek is where the word cauterize comes from. It's done by Satan himself to them. His agents become numb and deadened to the truth and belong to him to carry out the evil one's purposes. It's scary. It's something that it's, you know, that the evil one has his own ambassadors right within the church. And I just, uh, you know, as I, as I meet with pastors and in, in the Parker area from different churches, I know very quickly we have the same common faith in Jesus and we understand the word of God together. And many times people will come to our church and they'll be looking for a new church family and, and maybe Pepsi's not the right fit for them, but I'll kind of direct them to someone who I know will we'll direct them towards Jesus, not to their own agenda. But there's others I, I will not encourage them to go to. And, and, and I may, you know, I'll, I'll be careful what I say. I don't want to slander anybody. But I go, I'm not sure that person truly is focused in on Jesus. In Ephesus, the teachings of the Gnostics and, uh, and false asceticism were prevalent. They believed that the body was bad and only the spirit was good. Therefore, they, they were taught to abstain from two of the most basic appetites God has created in the human body, sex and hunger. I would like to share the, the story of my other Uber driver on that trip I made to California. His name was Chino, and he grew up in the Philippines. Since my dad was almost transferred to Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines when I was in middle school, we were able to strike up a quick conversation about him growing up in a predominantly Catholic country. He said he was often frightened of those who carry their crosses around town in the countryside, punishing their bodies, showing their bloody stripes where they whip themselves to identify with Jesus going to Calvary, demonstrating sorrow and needing forgiveness for their sins. He said it scared away from Christianity as a young person. But he says since moving to California when he was in high school, he was introduced to and now following Jesus. He is now attending Saddleback Church, where we just had just passed a few minutes prior, where Rick Warren is the pastor. He had been set free from these false teachings that he grew up with. It says in verses 4 and 5, For everything God, created by God, is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. You know, I think uh, one of the keys here is that we receive all of God's gifts with thanksgiving. Mentioned both verses 3 and 4. He sanctifies his gifts through the scripture and prayer for us. False teachers want to get control of us through distorted and unbiblical teachings. They often seem harmless enough until they direct us away from the gifts God has given us to his beloved children for enjoyment. Paul affirmed that everything that God has created and given to us is good. Therefore, we should ask God's blessing on them, on his created gifts, and that gives us pleasure and thank him for them. 
Is not food one of the greatest gifts that we can enjoy daily? Come on. I mean, I, I look like this because I enjoy food, okay? And I just have had the privilege of, of in the, you know, traveling almost 40 countries. And my wife and I talk about it. I, I don't bring anything back from countries. I just kind of eat my way through experiencing a country through my taste buds. Now, there's a few countries that are kind of low on the list, okay? Now, but I tried. And there are other ones. I had somebody come up there who's from Germany. She says, German food was number one, right? And I said, well, I, I got to admit, it was pretty good. Um, and, uh, but I also realized that that can get out of line too. And, and I, I realized that God calls us to prayer and fasting at times to refocus our relationship with Jesus. But that's not on occasion and not regularly. Maybe for some it's more regular. But it doesn't mean we should abuse what God has made for us. For example, gluttony abuses God's gift of food, good food. Lust abuses God's gift of love. Murder abuses God's gift of life and so on. We, as a sinful people, find ways to distort God's truth and we need to be repentant when it happens and be graciously forgiven by our Father in heaven. Amen? Thanks be to God for his love for us. In Genesis 1, 31, it says this, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. You know, it's, uh, it's so important that we understand that. I, there's a few principles I'd love for you to take away from our time together today as we study this text. And here they are. All that we have are gifts from God to be enjoyed. I think sometimes we just don't, aren't thankful for what things that God has given to us or made available to us. We we often think of you know, what we don't have versus what we do have. And we need to focus on those things that God has allowed us to have and be enjoyed. God's gifts are to be shared generously with others. We are, just, we're, we're, we are designed by God to share, to give things away. And whenever we clinch onto things and we think this is mine, I don't want to share it. You know, it's like we, we know that as parents with our little kids. We want to say, share don't grab it, but our natural tendency, isn't it, to kind of hold on. We need to let go and share. We're better together, and the things we have, what is mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. And we can kind of just enjoy those gifts. And the last one is God's gifts are to be used with thankful hearts. Man, gosh, we, we, are, we are blessed, aren't we? We're blessed as, as a people of God. And yes, do we, do we have things going on in our lives that are hard and struggling? Yes. But we have so much to be thankful for. And when we have an attitude of gratitude, it really does change how we see things. And it changes how people see us. And I believe how they see Jesus. The word is clear in Genesis. But again, in 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul gives us some further clarity in God's truth. says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good God. You have bestowed your gifts upon us. Of course, the gift of your son Jesus is like no other gift. That's all we need is you. Father, I thank you that you give that. I pray that if someone doesn't know you, Father, that they would say, I need that gift. 
I need to know Jesus, period. I need to know that I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I have, I have a pathway to life everlasting. And Father, I, I pray that we would become a people who share what we have been given and multiply that wherever we go. Father, that we would have this attitude that just as we are blessed, we're thankful. And Lord, help us when we get caught in that space where we're, we're just, we, we, we don't see that. We kind of just are skeptical or we're disillusioned or we're just uh, saddened. Lift that veil from us. Thank you that we can build our life on the cornerstone of Jesus. Thank you that we have your word and we have one another. May you be glorified in Jesus' name.